What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, last week we saw two great examples of what we should do with God's presence when we're in God's presence. We saw that from Joshua. Uh, we saw that from Moses. And the last thing we saw Moses do is he wasn't content with kind of where he was in his relationship with God. He wanted more. Uh, he asked God to uh, allow him to see the glory of God, and God granted that request. He puts Moses in the cleft of the rock. He covers the rock with his hand, and, and as he passes by, he removes his hand, and he allows Moses to, to see his glory, and he had that very special experience with God. And now as we come to chapter 34, we're going to see God revealing more of uh, his glory to Moses But we're going to see it in a different way. He just experienced it in an experiential way. He actually literally saw the glory of God. And and now he's going to receive it more in a practical way. God's going to share uh, seven characteristics about himself that reveal the glory that he possesses. Uh, And so it's going to move from the experiential to words. God's going to say, this is, you know, in specific terms, why I have so much glory. God doesn't just say, I'm a God of glory and leave it at that. He says, here are reasons why I'm so glorious. And so this is a, a great passage to look at to really kind of get a better grasp of the God that we serve, uh, the God that we worship. And, and that's my my hope uh, as we go through this, that we just kind of get a greater depth of you know God's character, a greater depth of who he is and the glory that he possesses. And I'm sure for some of you, this will be more of a review. You'll hear things that you've heard before, but you know I think they're great things to be reminded of because we go through life and, and sometimes we just kind of lose sight of how great God is, of how great his glory is. And I think these uh, specific characteristics that we're going to look at will hopefully just be a great reminder uh, for us, especially as we're going through trials, we're going through struggles, and we, we need to look to the Lord and look to who he is. I hope this brings us to that place where we really recognize just how glorious the God we serve is. And so we ended last week with this Moses in the cleft of the rock. He's just experienced this amazing glory that he's seen. And now God, at the same moment right after that, he's going to now speak to Moses And he's going to share some very important things about his glory with him. And so we pick up starting in Exodus chapter 34, verse 1. It says this. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So being ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flock nor herds feed before the mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. 
Now, if you remember back in chapter 32, Moses, he comes down from the mountain. God had warned him of what the Israelites were doing in their worship of the golden calf. But Moses hadn't seen it yet. And all of a sudden, when he sees how horrible it is, he takes those tablets that he had where God put his commandments on them. God literally wrote on those things. And he grabs them and he throws them down in anger because of what he just saw the Israelites doing. And so those are done. You know, those are broken. They don't have them anymore. And so God says, all right, uh, Moses, I want you to cut out two more pieces of stone. I want you to bring them up the mountain to me. And once again, I'm going to write the commandments like I did the first time before you broke them. Uh, and so we can have these for the nation of Israel. And then God also reveals, hey, this is going to be just for you and I. You know, uh, my glory, this experience, what we're going to have. I don't want anybody else on the mountain. I don't even want animals, you know, eating near it. I, I want it just to be us on this mountain and I want you to come up and do that and so Moses gets up in the morning does what the Lord says cuts out these tablets of stone and now as he comes to the Lord expecting God to write on these tablets which God will do but not understanding that God's going to tell him some very important things we're going to see these seven characteristics about God that he's going to reveal to Moses and I think this is great because Moses just said Lord show me your glory and God says okay fine I'm going to let you see it but I'm going to expound upon, I'm going to show you my glory in words as well. And I'm not just going to have you have an experience of it. I'm going to let you know why I am glorious. And notice what God tells him here in verses 5 through 7. We're told this. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So once again, we see the Lord descending in a cloud. This is something that we've seen over and over. He led the nation of Israel in a cloud. He came down on the mountain in a cloud. He came over Moses' tent in a cloud. Once again, he comes down in a cloud, this demonstration of his glory being present there with Moses. And so Moses is in this experience. He's seeing this again. So there's a visual. But then all of a sudden, God starts to proclaim things. He's speaking to Moses things. And first we're told he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, it's interesting to know that the Hebrew word here translated name, it speaks of someone's reputation and character. So God's not just saying, hey, Moses, if you didn't know, let me introduce you. My name is Yahweh. He's not just saying I'm proclaiming my name as in let me tell you what my name is. It's more specifically saying I want to share with you my character. I want you to know more about who I am. And so I want to proclaim that to you so you can understand my character. You can understand more about me. And then God goes on to proclaim these seven specific characteristics about himself that reveals his character, reveals his glory. You know, as Christians, it's so important for us to know the God that we serve. You know, I think it's sad when I talk with a lot of people who have been Christians for a while, and it's like they're just content with you know, that kind of salvation knowledge. I know that Jesus died for me. I, I accepted that. I know that he loves me. And, and that, that's, that's fine. That, that's kind of where it stops for me. I don't really want to know deeper. I don't want to know more. I don't want to know you know, the characteristics of God and, and understand who he is. And, and that should just be a pursuit that we should desire and continue to have throughout our life. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. It's been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, 
But I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. Yeah, I love this quote by Spurgeon of just like, you know, that should be the great pursuit of a Christian. That should be what we seek to study the most. That's what we should seek to learn the most of is God himself. That there's nothing greater than that. There's no pursuit more lofty than that. There's no more knowledge that's more important than that. You know, that that would be at the heart of what we want. And I'm not saying that other pursuits of knowing things are wrong, but that as Christians, we would say above those, a priority beyond those is knowing God. Knowing him, having a deeper grasp of who he is. And I love that these verses are just going to share with us, hey, here's seven characteristics of me. Here's things that you need to learn of me so that you can know me in a deeper way. And the first characteristic that God shares about himself is that he is merciful. Now, this Hebrew word here translated merciful, if you um, look through your Bible, you actually see the same exact Hebrew word translated full of compassion in other places. Actually, it's in the Bible 15 different times, eight times it's translated full of compassion, and the other times it's translated merciful, because that's what this word means. It, it, it reveals a God who is full of compassion. He has this overwhelming amount of compassion for you and I. Psalm 78, 38 says, but God, being full of compassion, the same Hebrew word, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. You know, the compassion of God is seen throughout Scripture, but especially towards the nation of Israel. You know, time and time again, we see their failure. We see their sin. We just saw it as they failed in sin and worshiping this golden calf. And yet God in his compassion is willing to forgive them. He doesn't destroy them. He doesn't abandon them. He doesn't neglect them. He's just a God who is full of compassion. And the great thing is we read this, we see this towards Israel, but we also recognize that's what God has for us. That compassion of God is also available to us actually in a greater way than it was to the nation of Israel because our relationship with God is deeper than theirs because we have a relationship as children because of the relationship we have through Jesus Christ. And just like with the nation of Israel, God is willing to forgive. He's willing to you know, deal with our own sin because he paid for it on the cross. Uh, he's full of compassion. He's full of mercy towards us. And that should be something that brings us encouragement. The second characteristic that God shares about himself is that he is gracious. You know, this is one of my favorite terms that we see in scripture connected with God, that he is a God who is gracious. We speak often of it, the, the Greek word that we have, but the Hebrew word translated as gracious has a very similar meaning. It means favor given to those who don't deserve it and can't earn it. And this is something that we've seen so often in God's relationship with Israel. He gives his favor to a group of people who definitely don't deserve it and really couldn't do anything to earn it. You know, they don't deserve it right now for sure. They didn't deserve it anytime. Abraham didn't deserve it when he chose him. Isaac surely didn't deserve it. Jacob didn't deserve it as we looked at his life. You know, God has been pouring his grace upon people who do not deserve it, could do nothing to earn it. And the great thing is when we look at our own life, we see the exact same thing. That God pours his 
grace on us. He gives to us his favor, something that we don't deserve, something that we could never earn, we could never work towards, we could never do enough good to say, okay, now God, I earn, I deserve the favor from you, but that we recognize it's just his grace that he did this. He paid the price for our sin. He made us his children. He gave us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He allows his spirit to dwell in us. None of those things are things that we deserve. None of those things are things that we could earn. These are things that God gives to us in his grace. And we could have a list that goes on and on and on, just looking at what God has done. But this is just one of those characteristics about God that, you know, it's just a wonderful thing that that is the God that we serve. One that pours his favor on you, one that pours his favor on me because he's gracious. Not because you earned it, not because you deserve it. And and I love that because I realize, man, I need his favor and I don't deserve it. But yet he's going to give it to me anyway because he's a gracious God. The third characteristic that God shares about himself is that he is long-suffering. The idea behind this Hebrew word long-suffering, and it's translated this way in other portions of Scripture, is that he is slow to anger and patient. And that's what you think, you know, someone who is willing to suffer long, that that person is patient. But really behind the heart of this word is more of a a patience that's slow to anger. You know, because, you know, here's God and he could have all the reason in the world to just really get angry at all the things that we're going to see the nation of Israel continue to do in their sin against him. But we see that he is just slow to anger. Psalm 103.8 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. And that term slow to anger, that's that same Hebrew word that we see right here, as translated long-suffering. And that's what God is. You know, He is slow to anger. I love that about him, that he doesn't have a short fuse. He doesn't just kind of go off the handle, go crazy on people. He just gets angry really quickly. I mean, if that were the case, if that's the kind of God that we serve, we'd all be wiped out. I mean, humanity would be gone. He would just destroy all of us because we all deserve his wrath. We all deserve with our sin for him to come against us. And if he was just, you know, an angry God that just quickly got upset with anybody who did wrong, I mean, none of us would have a chance. But it's so great that he's slow to anger. He's got that slow fuse. He doesn't get angry quickly. Now, there is times when his anger is shown, you know, his his justice, his judgment will come. But, you know, it takes a while. And when people just continue to reject and reject and reject and sin against the Lord, eventually he's going to bring, you know, his judgment upon them. But I'm so grateful that we see this slow to anger, this long suffering patience clearly demonstrated in his relationship with the nation of Israel. But it's also demonstrated towards us. You know, and this is something that, you know, you should be very grateful for, that God is patient with you. He's willing to suffer long with you, that you make a mistake and a failure and you sin and you do it over and over and you think, oh man, God will never love me. No, I'm going to be long suffering with you. I'm slow to anger. I'm patient with you. Come on, I'm going to continue to work with you. I'm going to continue to help you. You know, these are things that are just so great about God. The fourth characteristic that God shares about himself is that he is abounding in goodness. Now this Hebrew word translated goodness is actually speaking more of acts of kindness, acts of goodness. So it's a, it's, a, it's an action. Uh, so it's speaking of something that you do that's good towards others. But notice the word before it. You know, he doesn't just say, I am a, a God of goodness. He says, I'm a God who is abounding in goodness. I have this huge amount of goodness to give to others. 
Gail Irwin wrote this, Not merely adequate, but abounding is this great God of glory. He has barns and silos full of love, faithfulness, and goodness. He is stacking it in the streets looking for a distribution system. I love the fact that God's like, I have an, an abounding amount of goodness at my disposal. I'm just looking to pour it out. I'm just looking to give it out. I'm looking as an action to show goodness to the world. And it's not just even to believers. You know, God is good even to unbelievers. He is abounding in goodness and he loves to demonstrate his goodness to us. We see this with the nation of Israel, how good he is to them. Look at all he's done for them. Look at how he has rescued them. Look at how he's provided for them. Look at how he gave them manna from heaven. Even when they complained, he just kept giving it. He kept being good to them. He kept dealing with their problems because that's who he is. He abounds in goodness. And that's the way he is for us. He does good things to us, does good things for us. But on the other side of the coin, he also wants to keep us from bad things. He abounds in goodness. He wants good things for you. And he wants to keep you from bad things. And as we've noted when we looked at you know, Exodus chapter 20 and we looked at the Ten Commandments and we looked at some people kind of see this as, oh, God's just trying to spoil my fun. There's so many thou shalt nots. But no, that's not as hard at all. He's like, I want good for you. And these commandments are to keep you from things that are bad, to keep you from things that will hurt you, to keep you from things that will destroy you. And so I'm abounding in goodness. I pour that out on you and I warn you of the things that you need to avoid that are bad for you because that is not what I want for you. I want good things for you. The fifth characteristic that God shares about himself is that he's abounding in truth. So not only does he abound and have this huge amount of goodness, but he says, no, there's another thing that I abound in. There's another thing that I just kind of overflow with, and that is truth. The Hebrew word here translated truth means trustworthy, faithful, and reliable. Our God abounds in truth. He's full of it. He never lies. There's never an occasion where he lies. It's against who he is. And because of that, he's trustworthy. Because of that, he's faithful. Because of that, he's reliable. You can know that he'll do what he says he'll do because he never says one thing and does another. He always does what he says. He is truthful. He doesn't lie. We can trust every word he says. We can trust every promise that he says, I'll give this to you. Israel could hold on to that. To be confident of that. We can as well. We can trust and rely on God. He won't let us down. The Bible says this. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's always going to be faithful to us. You know, I love this verse in 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Isn't that such a wonderful truth? Because we are faithless people. I mean, there's sometimes we're faithful, but then there's other times we're faithless. And isn't it so good that when we're faithless, God doesn't respond with being faithless to us? Isn't it good that it's not like, hey, if you're faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. But the day that you're faithless to me, I will be faithless back. That's not how God treats us because it goes against his character. This is saying, hey, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he can't deny himself. He can't deny who he is. This is part of his character. He's a God who is faithful. And so he can never be faithless because it goes against who he is. And so even when we deserve it, and even when we're not faithful to him, he stays faithful to us. And what a great encouragement for us who are all 
guilty of being faithless in our relationship with the Lord, that he stays faithful to you and to me. Now, the next thing that God tells Moses is something that he already said. It's just emphasizing the mercy. He says he keeps mercy for thousands. He's already shared his mercy and is like, hey, I want you to be just really aware of this. I'm going to mention it again because my mercy is something that I just pour out. I give to thousands. I'm going to give it to to all you Israelites. And, And God wants Moses to be aware of this wonderful characteristic. The sixth characteristic that God shares about himself is that he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sins. And one of the greatest characteristics of God is that he's a God of forgiveness. And how important that is for the nation of Israel, how important that is for you and I, that this is something that is at the heart of God. That he's a God who's willing to forgive. That he's a God who does that. That's part of who he is. He's a forgiving God. And notice what we're told that he forgives. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now, all of these words are very similar in their definition, but really what they're dealing with are just different aspects and different levels of, of depth of sin. Some worse than others, some different types of sin than others. But at the end of the day, you know, what God is revealing is that you know, no matter what it is, no matter if it's a little sin, a big sin, no matter if it's this type or that type, I forgive them all. You know, there's nothing that you can do that I won't forgive. No matter how bad the behavior, I am a God who's willing to forgive that. Now, we've seen that with the nation of Israel over and over again. We saw that with Abraham. We saw that with his son Isaac and his son Jacob. We saw that as the nation started to grow. We've seen that in this journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai. And even now we see it with this most recent sin of idolatry that God is willing to forgive. God's forgiveness is always available. And this is a wonderful truth for us. We're told in 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful truth, a wonderful promise, and it's connected to God's forgiveness. Because if he wasn't a forgiving God, he couldn't make this promise because he wouldn't do it. But yet he's saying, no, I am a forgiving God. You bring your sin to me, you confess it, I promise you, I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you from the unrighteousness of the sin brought into your life. And what a great, great characteristic of God that we should not only be grateful for, but take advantage of. Because we sin daily. We need his forgiveness daily. And I'm so thankful that he offers it to us. The seventh and final thing that God tells Moses about himself is he by no means clears the guilty. This means that God must punish those who are guilty of sin. That he can't just clear their guilt. He can't just give them a clean slate, so to speak. You know, many people wonder that. You know, why can't God just, you know, give me a clean slate? You know, why can't he just ignore my guilt? Why can't I just walk to, you know, get to heaven and stand before him and and just say, all right, Lord, you you say you're loving, so just clear the slate clean. You know, just allow me in. You know, say I'm not guilty even though I am. Why can't God do that for me? Just pretend that I did nothing wrong. Well, the reason God can't do that is because of what is being alluded to here and what he's saying is that he is a God of justice. And so he can't allow sin to just go unpunished. He can't allow guilty people off without something happening to them because he's just. 
And in his justice, he has to punish sin. And so then the question is, wait a second, we're all sinners. (laughs) So how is it that God can then forgive us? How is it that God can allow us into heaven? How is it that God can do these things and still be just? I sin. I deserve his judgment. I deserve hell. So how in his justice can he allow me not to go to hell? How in his justice can he forgive me of my sin? Well, this is the wonderful truth of the gospel. That Jesus himself took the punishment we deserve. And in taking that punishment, God is still able to be just because he's saying, I punished your sin. I just did it with Jesus. I poured my judgment that you deserve and I poured it on Jesus. So my justice is still here. I am justly dealing with your sin, but yet you've escaped my justice because Jesus took it on your behalf. And so you can escape it. I love you enough that I I made it possible for you to be forgiven. I made it possible for a relationship, but I also keep my justice intact because I did punish your sin on the cross when I poured out my judgment upon Jesus Christ. So here God reveals to Moses, he reveals to us just seven amazing characteristics about himself, reveals why he's so glorious. First, he's merciful and full of compassion. Second, he's gracious and gives his favor to those who don't earn it, to those who don't deserve it. He's long-suffering, slow to anger and patient. He's abounding in goodness. He's abounding in truth, trustworthiness, faithfulness, reliability. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, and he is just and must punish sin. Now, as believers, I would hope that something that within all of us is like, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to grow to become more like God each and every day. That's kind of the, that's the heart of God. You know, we have the justification where we're saved, and then we have the sanctification where it's like the process of me becoming more like Jesus. And hopefully within this process, we say, hey, what of the characteristics and attributes of God, you know, can, can I grow in? Well, here are seven great ones. I mean, if you want to look and say, I want to be more like God, well, then these are the things that we should seek to be more like God in. That we'd be more merciful, more compassionate towards people, more gracious, willing to bless people who don't deserve it, willing to pour our grace upon those who don't earn it. We should seek to be more long-suffering and patient, slow to be angry, be good, not just in words, but in our actions, do good things for people. We should seek to be true, Be faithful, reliable, speak the truth in love, forgiving, especially those who sin against us in in even very difficult, horrible ways. And we should seek to be just in dealing with things in this life. But something we need to recognize is as much as that's nice to think, yeah, I want to be like God in these ways. I want to put these things into action. I want to see my life change. You can try all you want in your efforts. You could try tomorrow, wake up in the morning, I'm going to be more merciful, I'm going to be more forgiving, I'm going to be more loving, I'm going to be more like Jesus. And in your own strength, in your own effort, by the end of the day, you're not going to have done anything. (laughs) You're not going to have improved at all. Because the reality is we don't have the love. We don't have the forgiveness. We don't have the mercy. We don't have the grace. We don't have any of these things in and of ourselves. We cannot do it in our strength, in our ability. And this is why... The wonderful news of when we accept Christ, his spirit dwells within us and the power that that spirit offers is at our disposal at any moment. But now we have the ability to be loving. We have the ability to be forgiving. We have the ability to be gracious. We have the ability to be merciful. But it's entrusting God's power through his spirit 
to enable us to do that, not in my own strength and efforts and my own willpower to accomplish it. So if you want to see your life change in these ways, you got to trust the Lord. you got to rely on him to help you do that, not trust in yourself and rely on yourself. So God shares these seven wonderful characteristics about himself to Moses. And now notice what Moses does, how he responds to this. It's a great example for you and I. Verses 8 and 9 says this. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. So imagine Moses here. I mean, he just experienced through what he saw, this just amazing thing that, you know, it would just be wonderful to have gotten to see what Moses got to see as he's there in the cleft of the rock and God removes his hand. And I just can't imagine what he was able to see. And then right after that, he hears God proclaim these seven amazing characteristics about himself that declare his glory. And in response to that, notice the first thing that Moses does. We see two things he does. The first thing we're told that he does is he worships. Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. He made haste. It means like his first initial quick response was, man, now that I've seen and experienced your glory and I've heard of the characteristics of your glory, my first response is to make haste, to bow myself down before you and to worship you because of who you are. This amazing God of glory, I want to worship you. It's a great example for you and I. When we learn more about God, we learn more about his characteristics, we learn more about who he is, how glorious he is, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his love. Man, we should respond with worship. You know, worship is not about how you feel. I think too many people that that's it. You know, if I feel like it, I'll do it. It has nothing to do with feeling. It's not about I feel like it, so I will, or I don't feel like it, so I won't. We should never worship based on the, how we feel. Worship isn't about feelings. It's about who God is, about whether or not he deserves it, or whether he is someone who has done for us something that truly is worthy of worship. And this is what Moses is recognizing. I'm going to worship you for who you are. You're a God who is merciful and gracious and long-suffering and good and true and forgiving and just. And so I want to respond with worship. And I think the more you grain of an understanding of who God is, one of the responses you see in your life is more worship. You know, that's a natural byproduct. When I recognize God for who he is, I should be worshiping even more who he is. The second response that we see from Moses is to ask God for things based on his character that he just learned about. I just learned about these wonderful things, Lord. Seven characteristics about your glory. And now I'm going to ask of you based off of that. I'm not just throwing this prayer request out there willy-nilly. I'm saying it because of who you are. You have just displayed to me, proclaimed to me these wonderful things. And so in response to the knowledge of who you are, I ask these things of you. And notice what he asks. If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we're a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. 
God says, I'm good. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm forgiving. Moses hears those things and says, oh, this is good, because I have a prayer in light of that truth. I want to ask you something in light of those things that you have shared with me. And I think this is a great example for how we should pray. Pray for things based on the character of God. I think there's just so much more weight to your prayer and confidence in your prayer when you're praying it in light of who God is and what he's revealed about himself and his word. That we have this knowledge of, hey, I know you're a forgiving God, and because of that, I am going to pray for forgiveness for my own life, or pray for forgiveness for others, or pray that you would help me to be forgiving. That because of who you are in that, I'm going to take that characteristic and I'm going to apply it to the way in which I pray. God, I know that you are good, and so I'm going to pray, Lord, that you would be good to me in this area, that you would help me to be good to others. You know, we see the characteristics and that should influence the prayers. It should deepen our prayer life based off the knowledge of who God is. So Moses, he prays these prayers. Lord, notice, you know, what his focus is uh, with these prayers. If I found grace in your sight, Lord, I pray, go among us. Once again, he's coming back to that. Lord, if you're so merciful and gracious and loving and forgiving, Stay with us. Go among us. But also, even though we're stiff-necked, because remember, God said that about them, even though that we are this sinful group of people, would you pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance? What Moses is saying is, Lord, will you forgive this group, me included? Will you forgive us? Will you pardon our iniquity and sin? You're telling me that you are a God of forgiveness? Will you do that for us? Will you take us as your inheritance? Will you give us something good that we don't deserve because you're gracious? See, Moses is responding in this prayer based off what he's just learned about God. And now notice how God responds to Moses' request. Verses 10 and 11. We'll finish with these verses. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as not have been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from you the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So Moses goes to God. He asks God to go with the Israelites, to, even though they're stiff-necked, to forgive their sin, to take them as the inheritance. And God's response is a response that clearly demonstrates that what he said about himself is true. That these characteristics, these seven character traits that he said, this is who I am, his response to Moses' prayer shows those things are true about God. Because if his response to Moses was, no, I'm not forgiving you guys. I'm not giving you anything that you haven't earned. I mean, if he were to respond in that way, we'd say, wait a second, you just said you were forgiving. You just said you were gracious. Well, let's take those off the list because that's not true. But we see in this response that what God does matches with what he says about himself. And that's something I think is so important for us to realize as we've studied the word of God and we see the claims that God makes about himself are always backed up with action. We've seen that in the book of John as we looked at Jesus and we've seen what Jesus has declared about himself, but his actions always back up his words. He's just not making bold, outrageous claims that he can't back up. 
He does things to prove what he says about himself are true. We see that through the word. And hopefully that brings encouragement to you that you can trust what God says about himself. So God responds. He renews the covenant he made with Israel. He forgives them. He says, I'm going to do such marvels among you. It's going to be amazing. They don't deserve any of this. They deserve his wrath and judgment. And God says, I'm going to continue with it. I'm going to get you to the promised land. I'm going to remove all the nations that are there. The Jebusite, the Perizzite, the Hittite, all of them. They're all going to be gone. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to bring you into the promised land. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to do all this for you. Why? Because I'm gracious and I'm forgiving and I'm merciful and I'm loving. They didn't deserve any of this. Especially after what they just did. They just got done worshiping a golden calf. But I just want you to recognize God's response reveals he truly is what we've just looked at. He truly is merciful and full of compassion. He truly is gracious and gives favor to those who don't deserve it or earn it. He truly is long-suffering, slow to anger and patient, abounding in goodness, abounding in truth, trustworthy, faithful, reliable. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin as he did just now. And he truly is just. We serve a glorious God. That's what he's wanting to help Moses see. Show me your glory. I'm going to show you my glory visually. You're going to experience it. But I am going to reveal to you how glorious I truly am as I share with you these seven characteristics of who I am that display my glory even better than seeing something like that. I think the truth of the knowledge of God's glory in specific ways is more important because at the end of the day, experiences don't really help too much in difficult time. You know, they they might encourage you for a little bit, but it's the knowledge of who God is. It's that truth that we can really hold on to when times get tough, when the enemy's lying, when things are happening, when we're struggling. You know, then those experiences that we had a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago or, or however long it is that we're trying to hold on to, like, oh, the experience is all that matters. No, the truth of who God is is far more valuable in those times And Moses got to have both. He had an experience, but he also had a truth of God proclaiming these wonderful characteristics about his glory. So I hope that this has, if these are new to you, then deepened your understanding of God, deepened your understanding of his character, deepened your understanding of who he is. And maybe these are just, you know, familiar things, but just a great reminder because we lose sight of it. And the enemy comes and he lies to us and he says, God doesn't love you. God wouldn't forgive you. God wouldn't give that to you. Who do you think you are? Look at how you've been living. We need to remember, no, God is gracious. He gives to me what I don't deserve. He is loving. He is merciful. He is a God who forgives. These are things that we need to just hold on to, be reminded of regularly, and just be thankful of the God that we serve and how glorious he is.